There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Modes of Mouth podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Now, we are delighted to be officially partnering up with the Brain Tumor Charity. It's a cause we care deeply about and through our specially dedicated podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses, fundraising events and generating awareness, we'll all be moving further and faster to help every single person affected by a brain tumor. For more details on how you can help, just check the link in the podcast description or head to thebraintumorcharity.org. Can you believe we're at season six of the Motormouth podcast? Thank you so much for your continued support. And we also wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our sponsors. This season, we're delighted to be teaming up with Grid Rival. Now, if your football mates are constantly going on about their fantasy leagues, well, now you can get your own back and create your own racing fantasies. Thanks to Grid Rival, including F1 and MotoGP. You can select your own team and drivers, interact with other fans and join or create your own leagues where you can trade on the go to make sure you have the ultimate lineup for each race. If you're as obsessive about motorsport as we are, make sure you get set up on Grid Rival today. Head to their website, it's gridrival.com, or download their app from your app store. 2021 leagues go live in February, so now is the perfect time to strategize and make sure you get a jump start by downloading the app and getting notified for when they do as the motorsport season begins to ramp up. I think it's fair to say we are bringing you the biggest names in motorsport and today's guest is a big one. Mario Andretti is one of only three drivers to have secured wins in IndyCar, Formula One, sports cars and NASCAR. He's an IndyCar and Formula One world champion to top it off too. He's also just a really lovely man and it was a pleasure to hear from him, his life story and his opinions of motorsport today. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now before I introduce today's very special guest, I have to head over to the English Council 
County of Essex to introduce my co-host, Harry Benjamin. But before I do, did you know that Essex has always had a strong relationship with the United States of America, dating back to 1606, when the first ships set sail for the New World? Essex was also a strong recruiting ground for the colonies with descendants from many of the county's families now listed in the United States. I thought I'd shoehorn into that very poor link to our US-based guest today, although I should probably have gone with Italy, seeing as that's where he spent his formative years. But sadly, outside of some excellent Italian restaurants, there's no great connection between Essex and Italy that I can find. So before we bring in our special guest, Harry Benjamin from Essex, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I've got one connection to... Well, actually, I have American relatives, first of all. That's the pretty solid connection okay. there. But um, I actually studied American studies as a degree for about a month before I dropped out. Um, so that's... Didn't know <laughs> that's that information. My, that's my one connection. But yeah, I'm all good. Thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Living the lockdown life as we all yeah, are. Yeah, same old, same old. Um, but let's crack on because I'm very expi- excited to chat yes. to today's guest. So um, honestly, listeners, it actually doesn't get any bigger than this. I don't know how we're going to top this. We're joined by a man who's won the Indy 500, the Daytona 500, the Formula One World Championship. He's even won Pikes Peak Hill Climb. He's won the Indy Car Championship four times. He's been a winner in sports cars, sprints, stock cars. He's basically won everything, ever in motorsport. He's considered by large parts of the motorsport community as the greatest racing driver of all time, including to my five-year-old son who knows him from the amazing Cars animated film, Mario Andretti. I can't believe I'm saying it, but welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you, Tim. Hello, Harry. Mario, it is an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Now, the common thread that we always start these podcasts with, you know, lockdown life and coronavirus, but we, we, we're trying to make this a bit more of a place to escape from that now. So and hopefully, you know, by the time this goes out, we are sort of slowly improving. So let's get straight into you because there's, there's so much to cover and, and such little time. I want to start off, you know, Right from the beginning, if, if you can remember that far back, not to make, not to make you feel, feel your age, but you look brilliant for it. You were born in Italy, of course, in, in the 1940s, right at the start of, of World War II. Do, do you remember anything from that period before um, you moved to, to what is now Tuscany, I suppose? And times were probably, must have been quite difficult at that time. Well, uh, difficult in a sense, but, uh, you know, as you just said, uh, I was born just when the World War II started. So basically, uh, war is war. You know, that means uh, a lot of uncertainties and, uh, and sort of confusion. Um, you, uh, even as a child, uh, you, you look at your parents, you know, the arguments, the political arguments that happen at the dinner table and all those. So, uh, of course, you know, as kids, we, we didn't know anything else. So that, that's, uh, uh, but even then, it, Things didn't seem to be normal per se because uh, you hear the conversation and uh, you know that things uh, should be different, should be better, and so on and so forth. And that, but you, you know, you go through that as a kid. Uh, all you do is just go along with things, and um, then all of a sudden uh, we're leaving our home, and uh, and there's the uncertainty again, uh, and uh, you feel the anguish from your parents and. Uh, you know, the people around you, oh, my goodness, you know, what now? And But as kids, you sort of, uh, you know, you have it, uh, kids adapt, you know, uh, because uh, you go to school. You know, we never never missed school, never anything. It was never hungry, never cold. 
my my dad always provided, no matter what the environment uh, we were provided for. So uh, from that standpoint, um, uh, can I say that uh, that I suffered in any way? No, um, uh, just one of those things. Uh, it was, uh, and, and as you say, do I remember those periods? Yes, I do. Of course I do. And, um, and then the, the refugee camp, a refugee camp, uh, you know, we were going to school and, and we were there until uh, the age 15, you know, yeah. so uh, uh, you already comprehend or you understand things, obviously. Um, and then from there, uh, entire new life, new language, new everything um, uh, by moving to America. Uh, before, but, before um, just before we touch on on the states, Mario Luca, which is a place I've been to actually, is a beautiful place in Tuscany, um, and with some lovely surroundings and, and hotels, and it's it's a great place to go on on vacation. What was it like then? It, it, you know, you're in a refugee camp. Could we, were you able to enjoy the beauty of it, or, or was it really a, a, a difficult time to be in that region? It was not a difficult time, quite honestly. Um, uh, I'll I'll tell you in a moment how we were viewed, you know, by uh, the rest of the citizens uh, and how it came full circle. But uh, uh, from our standpoint, um, okay, we were in a camp, so to speak, but it was inside the walls and um, right behind uh, the church of uh, San Frediano. Um, and, uh, again, you know, as kids, we went to school, we did all the things. It was a wonderful chaplain, a priest that, uh, uh, made sure that, uh, we would have, you know, things to do sports and all that, you know, to keep us busy. Um, and, and again, uh, and that, that's where I, uh, started following, um, uh, the, you know, motor racing, uh, and, and, you know, through, uh, magazines and, uh, going to, to the movies uh, where they would show the newsreels and uh, and it would have uh, all the activities of Formula One, you know, around the world in the early 50s. And as you can see, because of Ferrari, Maserati, and uh, Alfa Romeo being involved in Formula One and the first world champion being uh, Italian, Nino Farina and all that. Uh, so, uh, and we started, my brother and I just, uh, you know, became enamored with the sport then. But uh, going back to Luca per se, I'll give you a, a, a little a- anecdote. <laughs> uh, my, my mother and I were um, just were walking. It was one of the squares, St. Michael's Square, San Michele. And, um, and we were walking and going back to the, you know, to our, where we were staying. And uh, there's one lady ahead of us. And she had a couple of kids that were a bit rambunctious. And, uh, and she said, uh, if you don't be, start behaving yourself, We'll take you up to that camp up there and let those people eat you, you know. And so all of a sudden we were cannibals, you know. <laughs> but well, you talk about, <laughs> I, I hope you talk you, about, I, you know, going full circle. Yeah. I can show you, uh, you know, two years ago I was invited in Luca and I was honored as an honorary <laughs> citizen. Wow. <laughs> And there, and there was no eating of small children. And I keep in contact, you know, there was a mayor, it was all of, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the political, you know, uh, celebrities there. And it was wonderful. But again, you know, I, I have friends there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, uh, we were cannibals. <laughs> well, why not? Why not? And and you, um, presumably, you attended the Italian Grand Prix at some point. Was that... Was that the moment when you saw the cars in real life that you thought, 
wow, th- this is for me. This is what I want to do. Yes, Tim, that was the wow. Uh, and I always say that uh, that's when the mold was cast. And uh, and from that point on, uh, you know, my brother Aldo and I, there was uh, no no plan B uh, for us. Uh, obviously, uh, everything seemed like the impossible dream, but I always say as kids, you're allowed to dream. You can dream as big as you like, and we did. <laughs> we were dreaming big. Uh, but, um, you know, one, one way or another, you know, uh, coming to America, we, uh, uh, that's when the opportunity all of a sudden uh, presented itself. And, uh, uh, and I think uh, that was a decisive point that probably in my life, or sh- not, not probably in my life, just to have that opportunity. And all along, even my dad, when uh, there were a decision, the decision came to uh, move into America, uh, he's, he kept saying clearly, he said, I'm, I'm doing it for you kids. You know, uh, obviously, uh, I had an older sister, Anna Maria, six years older than us. Uh, but they said, I'm doing it for your future. Uh, you know, things look bleak at the moment here, and we don't know for how long, you know, things will be the way they are. And, uh, and he said, uh, but then to soften the blow, <laughs> coming to America, so to speak, you know, to go into the new world, he said, uh, we'll probably go to America for five years and then come back. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> that didn't age well. <laughs> famous last words, yeah. What? But um, uh, nevertheless, um, you know, that was, you know, that, that's, what, that's what was happening. That's how it happened. Can you talk us through the, the move to America a bit more and what those first steps you, you took once you were there to, to get onto the racing ladder? You know, did you know where to start or were you sort of flying blind to begin with? Well, here's the thing that, uh, uh, again, uh, sometimes you figure, uh, how could it, you couldn't design something like this. Uh, we arrived here in America on June 16th, 1955, June. So that means that racing season was already underway, right? And um, uh, for the first, uh, you know, for the first two weeks, we were staying at my uh, uncle Tony's uh, house, course you know before and uh, and so it was a sunday afternoon and uh sunday night sunday evening actually and uh we were just lounging after dinner and so forth and all of a sudden uh, um in the back in the background i see lights very bright lights and and then a big roar of engines and uh aldo and i looked at each other and we just booked we just followed the noise and here we go to the uh, local fairgrounds and where they had this uh, modified stock car racing. And obviously, uh, I had some idea about uh, dirt track racing uh, after seeing the movie uh, To Please a Lady in, in Italy in 1951, which uh, Clark Gable, you know, driving uh, dirt cars and then Indianapolis and all that. But I, at the same time, it seemed very strange. And Aldo... And I ran over and uh, we peeked through, you know, the, the, the fence there and, and, uh, and, and, and we see these brute looking cars there, you know, and, and we looked at each other. I always say that and we said, you know, this is actually doable. You know, those uh, Formula One cars that we saw at Monza, you know, there seemed like, uh, okay, it's, uh, it's too far, you know, it's not reachable for us, but this and really, and then we started, um, you know, two years later, you know, at age 17, we put some uh, 
friends together, four buddies, and, um, and we started looking at a plan to, to start building one. And that's how it all started. And 1964, your first IndyCar race, when you sat down on that, it sat down in the cockpit of the car for the first time. What can you take yourself back there? Can you can you remember the emotions you were feeling? Yes, indeed, I certainly do. And and uh, you know, it's like just being thrown out to the uh, to the lions, you know, at the time. Uh, but uh, you want you want it so badly, and uh, you're so passion driven that, um, uh, you know, nothing is an obstacle. And quite honestly, as you said, uh, I didn't have the luxury of uh, being, even being fitted in a car before, honest, honestly. Um, and, um, and so in those days, the, the, the uh, champ car races, which were the IndyCar races, uh, outside of Indianapolis, they were all a one-day event. So in the morning, you have, uh, you know, you start practice, and then it's qualifying and the race. So here it is. I have never, I have never driven um, a Trenton on a mile track. Uh, certainly not with. Uh, I, I did some, I did some practicing there with a sprint car one time when they before the engine blew on one of the races in the URC. But uh, um, I right there. And again, the the driver that drove that car before me was uh, Troy Rutman. You know, actually, with the youngest Indy winner, I think even to today is, and uh, but he, the the man is uh, physically is a giant next to me, and so again, seat fitting. Oh gosh, uh, did, was I in a position to demand anything? No, so I was basically rattling in there, and uh, yeah. and anyway, um, the first uh, first hot lap, uh, I spun actually going into turn three. And uh, there's a reason for that because uh, I sent my brother on uh, turn three to uh, uh, give me an idea. I says, uh, a stand on the inside where the top drivers are lifting where before the corner. And then so I can gauge myself so I can, you know, start working up to it. And, uh, and he went down there and instead of, uh, you know, doing that, he went like, 30 yards further so he figured well you know what if he's gonna go fast he better you know do that <laughs> and i'm going down the back straight away and, I, and i'm looking for him and i'm looking for him and then you know and and obviously i entered too quick and i spun luckily i didn't hit anything but i got a bit of a bollocking from the race director because uh, in those days uh uh, you, uh, as a rookie, you were not given the license immediately. You were, uh, you were given a uh, temporary permit for three races. Oh. Uh, and so he says, one more time. He said, kid, you're out of here. Oh, God. You know, so, Could have been the anyway. end of Mario Andretti before we even got to enjoy all the, all the wins. <laughs> so anyway, the long and the short is, uh, I finished 11th, my very first race. And, uh, and I was pretty proud of that. And believe it or not, that was the very first race that my dad attended. And, uh, you know, I had been winning races uh, uh, up to that point, you know, in um, stock cars, midgets, sprint cars. And um, so they, my dad expected me to win right away, you know. So he was disappointed. <laughs> he just picked it up in 11th. And to me, finishing 11th was like, was as good as winning, you know, for my yeah. first race under those circumstances. So, 
Um, of, of course, though, anyway. it, was, it was only a year later that you, you won your first IndyCar race. So that must have been a, a, a great sort of first season to build on. Could you see that what was coming was good or were there quite difficult times to get through as well? No, no, I think, quite honestly, things were going quite well because uh, right after that, um, there was um, uh, my objective, you know, whether was going to happen or not, but I had an objective of, of potentially, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, be able to connect, you know, with one of the top teams, you know, uh, you know, f- as far as uh, having uh, the proper, proper ride. And, uh, and a lot in, in those, those days, uh, uh, it's unfortunate, but sometimes you just waited for somebody to be injured or, or worse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is what happened uh, to me was, uh, I was doing really well in sprint cars, and I, in fact, uh, uh, at that point, I right after that, I won um, the uh, uh, 100 lap race at uh, Salem, Indiana, which was uh, uh, not under the asphalt, high banks, and uh, against Foyt, Branson, McCluskey, Bouncers, and everything. So all the uh, the, the big protagonists, uh, you know, were there, and uh, so that gave me, you know, a bit of a lot of some stock, you know, and uh, so with this injury of the driver Chuck Hulse, who uh, during a, another sprint car race uh, before Indy in, in Ohio, uh, he, he was hurt there, and, and in fact, that ended his career. Uh, so uh, the Dean Benline team, which was uh, basically one of the top three teams uh, on the circuit, um, they were out of a driver, and some of their uh, you know, chief mechanics and so forth that they uh, recommended me, you know, so why don't you give the kid a, a test? As a matter of fact, the test was be- was going to be between one of the other candidates of all was uh, Roger Penske. Wow. Believe it or not. <laughs> and he talks about Brilliant. that. He talks about that. You know, we still, you know, laugh about it. But, uh, and uh, fortunately for me, um he, uh, he had a, another business commitment or something, and he, he couldn't make the test. So I, um, I was at a, the Firestone uh, test in Trenton, New Jersey, and, um, and that earned me uh, my position. And this is before Indy again, just before Indy, because the, the first race you know, that I did was in March. So this was in April. And, uh, but... Uh, uh, but Cliff Bronner, the chief, the chief mechanic on there, uh, the, the you know the team manager, uh, didn't want me to do. He didn't think I was ready to do Indy. So he says, "Kid, he says uh, uh, we'll see you in Milwaukee after Indy, and uh, and you know, and that's it. And he didn't say anything else. Uh, but me, meanwhile, I said I was thinking, man, man, I'm gonna do something, you know. So he didn't want me to drive." Even at Langhorn, which was uh, one of the the, 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 the most difficult uh, uh, dirt tracks, I mean, just to give you an idea, uh, in the lifespan of that circuit, there were 52 drivers killed in that place. Oh my God! And uh, more, yeah, and uh, and so, and and Dean Van Lines had uh, Jimmy Bryan, you know, their top driver. I was a, a national champion and so forth. They won Indy and all that. I uh, was killed there the year before. So he, they didn't want me to drive there, but I did. <clears throat> I drove for somebody else. And in fact, I, I finished uh, ahead of uh, 
uh, this guy, Bob Matthauser, who was driving uh, the Dean Van Line car. <laughs> that was my objective. <laughs> to finish ahead of it. And um, so, again, you know, that's how the career went. Um, and I uh, drove Milwaukee, and uh, for, yeah, I did pretty well there. And things started going well. I did some podiums with the car, with that car that uh, during that half of that season. But my very first season was in 65, the following year. And there, you know, I started out quite well. Uh, started out uh, leading in Phoenix until some, you know, the input shaft broke. And then I finished second in Trenton. Uh, and then I finished third at Indy. And then uh, I won my, uh, there was only one road race that year and I won that. And then I won the national championship the following year and my very first full year in IndyCar, which, you know, obviously for me, it was, uh, was a blessing. Uh, you can imagine things were just beginning to happen the right way. And then uh, the best thing, and I always say this, and, and I said this with a lot of pride, is that uh, at Indy, uh, of course, uh, Jim Clark won that race and uh, I got to, uh, to, to know a little bit, um, you know, Colin Chapman and so forth, and uh, and uh, and we we chatted many times, and uh, and I was of course interested in Formula One, and I even said to him just when we were saying our goodbyes after the banquet uh, the the day after the race, I said that Colin, yeah, someday I would like to do Formula One, and he said, uh, well Mario, I said when you think you're ready, you just call me, I will have a car for you. Wow. Now can you imagine? what that did for me, yeah. you know, uh, and it certainly gave me an objective and, 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 uh, figure, you know what, it's up to me now yeah. to, to, yeah. Uh, to get ready. And, and that's when I lobby like crazy to get more road races, uh, into, uh, Indy cars, I lobbied and, and, uh, the, the head of, uh, of, uh, USAC at the time was a guy that I actually, uh, it was very nice. I could talk to him and reason and, uh, and that's when a lot of road races started in 60, in 65. Uh, the first road race was right there in uh, Indianapolis Raceway Park nearby, you know, which, I, again, I won. In fact, I, they had it for three years in a row, and I won it all three years. But uh, then I started, we started going to Canada, you know, San Jovita, Mossport, uh, Riverside, and, and um, you know, then, uh, then I would uh, have the opportunity to race against, uh, you know, real road races like yeah. Dan Gurney and so forth. And, yeah. and that was really great for me. And then in 66, I embarked into the, you know, I, um, I joined the, um, the Ford uh, Le Mans program, and, um, uh, which afforded me so much, uh, 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 so many miles uh, testing. You know, for for that program, that program was just, uh, uh, you know, flat out, you know, no holes barred, you know, and and uh, that gave me a, a lot of opportunities. And there I befriended uh, Bruce McLaren, you know, and, and we became really good friends. And um, and I was really watching, you know, he was uh, such a phenomenal technical driver, probably not the fastest out there, but I mean, no one could, uh, you know, be, it was quicker, especially uh, uh, you know, in hairpins, slow corners, to be able to rotate the car. And I would always watch all that because I think I had the high speed, uh, you know, very well handled. Uh, but um, I needed to to learn a lot about that. And, and you know, so uh, that's it. I was just going to school. And yeah, um, yeah. three years later, 68, I thought I was ready to give it a try. And uh, 
called Colin and sure enough, he had a car for me. Had a boy, Colin. <laughs> and, and things went pretty well. I mean, there's a bit of jumping about here because 68, you get your Formula One opportunity. It goes incredibly well. You qualify on pole. What was that experience like? And then take us through the next steps because I believe you went back to the States after that 69 and just hopped in a car and won the Indy 500. So take, <laughs> take us through the, those couple of years where you go Formula One, wow, amazing, and then jump into a car and go and win the Indy 500. Well, you know, again, things were going quite well from the standpoint, they even, you know, we win the national championship in 65. And then they say, oh, well, okay, the kid got lucky. And then in 66, I was on pole at Indy and I won another national championship the following year. And, and I didn't gain a single point at Indianapolis because I had dropped out early, you know, with the burn piston. Uh, 67, 68, I lost the national championship uh, finished second by at the last race, you know, by the, the slimmest of points, you know. So I was, you know, things were going well. And then, uh, of course, you know, uh, I, I already had uh, won uh, Sebring 12 hours with uh, Bruce McLaren, you know, Ford. So, you know, I had some good experiences and in, uh, in prototypes. Uh, I had driven at 24 hours of Daytona with Pedro Rodriguez. You know, in a Ferrari, uh, was you know it was not a factory Ferrari, but it was. A, but nevertheless, you know, I I was things were happening for me. I was um, I was getting opportunities. Uh, in '67, I won the Daytona 500. You know, I had a, a great relationship uh, with uh, with Ford, and um, so uh, I had the opportunity to be with their top team, the Holman and Moody team, and. And um, so again, so then 68, of course, you know, at Indian and 69 was the only second uh, 500 that I finished since my rookie year that I won. I won that race. And with all the issues that we had, because uh, uh, the Lotus, uh, the, uh, Lotus the, the 63, uh, the four wheel drive was really quick, it was a great car in every way, but it, it was uh, very fragile, and um, I mean, it was proven uh, uh, that uh, Pence, Mike Pence, and uh, was uh, and and uh, uh, Graham Graham Hill also had an incident uh, that had a front suspension uh, collapse, and then um, my right rear hub uh, just broke, and I had a big crash and destroyed the car and, and almost destroyed myself with it. You know, fire three, three days before qualifying. You know, for that race, and I had to qualify, go back to the backup car, which was never intended to, to be raced there, quite honestly. But uh, and then we won the race with that. So um, again, you know, things were just happening. Um, and can you imagine? Then, then that year, uh, that year, you know, I felt I won. To win the championship, I won on a dirt track. I won Pikes Peak. I won Indy. And I had the uh, the championship. The, the last race was uh, December 4th, I think, in Riverside. And I had a clinched championship by August already, you know. So uh, things were really going well, you know, as you can imagine. Um, uh, so this all, you know, gives you not only confidence, but, um, you know, a great feeling as much as I love the sport. Uh, I felt that uh, uh, then it was, you know, time to, to, uh, to start uh, getting a little more acquainted with Formula One. As you could see, 
I had some, you know, a relationship with Ferrari as well. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, Lotus, I could have, he, uh, Colin would have given me a full-time job uh, by 1970 for sure. Um, and, uh, but uh, I had my contracts with uh, Firestone, uh, they were lucrative enough that I, I just could not uh, overlook that fact. And, and, and I could not go to Europe. As a matter of fact, even after I won uh, my first Grand Prix uh, for Ferrari in 71, I was offered a full-time uh, right there as a number one and I couldn't do it. I just could not afford to do it because, um, again, not that I race, you know, for, you know, for, for the money, so to speak, but, uh, you know, you have to, I had to try to put, you know, to, to put some stock into that because, uh, uh, you know, you never knew if of you course. were going to last well, it and uh, to try to provide for the family and everything else. So that was a factor. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsors, Grid Rival. Grid Rival is an absolute must for any racing fan. I've been looking to join Fantasy Motorsport Leagues for ages and Grid Rival does that and so much more. With an experience like no other, real-time fantasy games, the best content and a community of fans, Grid Rival is a must for 2020. Get ready for the motorsport season with Grid Rival today. Fantasy leagues go live in February, but make sure you head to their website, gridrival.com, or download their app from your app store so you're in pole position for when they do. Were you happy? Because, of course, it's pretty much every racing driver's, let alone those like you, well, who were born in Italy. You know, Ferrari, just a drive for Ferrari is is a dream come true. So was that, was that, were you just happy to have driven for them? And, and what was it like when you actually clinched that contract to begin with? And, and you were, you were driving for the number one Italian team known throughout the world. Well, you know, again, uh, I, I first met uh, Mr. Ferrari in, in uh, 69 uh, for a thousand Ks at uh, Monza where I drove with Chris Heyman as uh, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and again, and the, the beautiful thing about that is uh, he, he knew that how much I, I love to do sports cars and, and, you know, prototypes. And and whenever possible, I would do it. I could not do the whole season, obviously, because there were always too many conflicts, you know, with my main efforts. But uh, uh, just dealing, just dealing with uh, Mr. Ferrari directly uh, to me was just uh, something that uh, I would hold dear, you know, forever. Um, and... As you can see, he usually always had, uh, you know, someone, um, but he didn't have too many Italian drivers. After he had some of uh, these fatalities uh, and he was criticized by, uh, you know, the government and all that sort of thing, um, then he, 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 he was not really too keen about uh, hiring Italian drivers for some reason. And because of that, he, uh, he never dealt really directly with the driver because of language barriers and so forth. He, he only spoke Italian, you know, he spoke a bit of French and so forth. But uh, but with me, we could uh, deal directly. And I love that. I love that part. You know, I think that was something very special, obviously. And Ma- Mario, did you, that era was very different in, in Formula One, IndyCar. Um, it was a different era. You had the likes of, um, well, put it this way. Drivers now are very controlled. You know, they win a race, they might have a glass of champagne or something after a race and, you know, fine, go back to their hotel and celebrate with friends and family. 
Well, actually, back, these back, days they'll be quarantining. Oh, quarantining. But, <laughs> but back in the day, you, you know, you got the likes of James Hunt or whoever, you know, going crazy after a race, smoking in the pit lane. What What was your way of dealing with a win? Did you go out and get completely smashed and have a, you know, drink loads of Italian red wine, or or did you did you just sort of take it in your stride? No, I mean, uh, uh, I think uh, uh, like you said, maybe some driver will go crazy. I don't think there was any need for that, quite honestly. And I'll tell you who kept me grounded. It was my wife, uh, of all. Uh, she was such an asset in so many ways, uh, you know, the love of my life uh, and, and, and all of that. But uh, she was so much more, um, uh, uh, again, uh, mature than, than I was. And, uh, and none of that could ever happen. There was no need for that. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, what was the best part about it, it was that um, no matter whether I came home with a trophy or not, I got the same embrace and the same kiss. And there was no real, you know, hoopla if I, if I won. I would come home from Europe sometime, you know, with a trophy winning Formula One race. Oh, well, it was good, you know. But uh, I loved that. And, and and sometime I resented that a bit. You know, I said, you know, I wish she would get, I would get a little more reaction out of her. But I didn't realize how good that was for me yeah. uh, to keep me just totally grounded and so forth and, uh, and with an appreciation for the good things that were happening. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, uh, again, uh, I don't think there was any of that. I mean, uh, again, you know, it's, uh, I think it's a personal thing, uh, just like, you know, they said about the physical fitness and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, people say, well, do, do you have a, did you have a, a sort of a, a, a program or something? I say, yeah, my program was to be in a race car. Yeah. And then it's the same thing, you know. <laughs> if you're in a boxing ring, you know, every week, you don't need to train in between. You need to rest. And uh, so, again, it's all a personal thing that, that, that you do to, to, you know what you need. You know what your needs are. And, um, in, you know, nothing took the place of... Uh, of uh, my work because uh, I just always look forward to, to going to work. That's yeah, the best yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, my love for the sport as they, even my career went on and did not diminish. It got even stronger. And that's why I, you know, um, I, I, I got as much as I could out of it. You know, I was so fortunate, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, dodge so many bullets along the way yeah. and, um, and have a long career, uh, and, but I, 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 I didn't want to give it up, you yeah. know, and, uh, and I, I, I took as much out of it as I could. That's why uh, oh. I just drove uh, officially until I was 54 uh, years absolutely. of age. Absolutely. It's, it's the evergreen Mario Andretti. Did, did you, at the time, you know, you, let's fast forward a little bit. So 1978, you've, you've won the championship in, in, uh, with Lotus. You've become the first driver in, in history to win F1 and IndyCar titles. Did you realize at the time the history you were making or was it just, oh, this is my job, this is what I love doing, uh, recognition is great? Or did, could you feel the impact you were making on the sport back then? Well, I don't know if that's, you know, those things, they happen. Uh, you don't think about that. You know, later on, if you're all, oh, goodness, you know, you pinch yourself because they said, I, I wonder, because there many, many times uh, even people, the PR people remind you of those things. I. Uh, I don't think uh, you, you should not ever, in my opinion, be possessed about the statistics. Uh, let that happen. Now, you know what your job is. You know what your, your aim is. Uh, uh, 
from the standpoint of uh, when you go out there, you want to win every race. Yeah. You're not going to, but you, you know, you feel I'm going to win every race. Otherwise, might as well stay home. You know, so, uh, but, um, uh, you know, when things happen, it's the same thing when uh, you're honored by, uh, you know, being inducted into a Hall of Fame. Uh, oh, my goodness. You know, did I ever say, oh, I hope someday I get inducted in a Hall of Fame? No. I mean, uh, you don't think of that until later somebody mentions it. You're just out there to do your job. Yeah. As I said, I'll repeat, you want to win every single race, yeah. uh, but you're not going to. Uh, and that's your objective. That's all. And everything else that happens is uh, just the icing on the cake, so to yeah. speak. Well, were you a bit sad to leave Formula One behind in the 80s going back to IndyCar? Well, in some ways I was because I think I made the, uh, I'll say this, uh, the wrong decision. Uh, I could have, uh, uh, coming, coming out of Lotus, uh, I uh, had the opportunity to be either with McLaren or uh, Alfa Romeo, you know, with the, the big Mar- Marlboro sponsorship. I had that choice. And um, obviously, I made the wrong choice uh, uh, when with Alfa Romeo, which, uh, quite honestly, I thought, um, because Giacomelli was really doing well, especially at the last uh, few races of the season. And then there was this, uh, and so I figured, I'm going with Alfa Romeo, because uh, uh, the, the, the the good part about Alfa, is it seemed like they're competitive now with the chassis and then, and then they, they would have the, the reliability, engine reliability, because uh, uh, the reliability factor is what cheated me out of a world championship in even 77. You know, that should have been an easier championship than 78. Uh, so I was looking for that. And then uh, there was this big, uh, the rule change in, in 1981. Uh, if you remember, the uh, was about the ground effects. Yeah that uh, you had to have a certain uh, height, you know, as you leave the pits, as you enter the pits. And then, uh, but uh, obviously after the first race in Argentina, uh, the the Brabham, good old Bernie, uh, they thought of something different. You know, they had this hydraulic system, you know, that uh, they would go out of the pits and then drop the car and then come back in the pits, pump it up and raise it. And then, uh, but everybody else started doing the same thing except Alfa Romeo. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and we argued, argued, I almost quit. In fact, we were in Belgium. I almost, I almost picked up my helmet bag before the race and left because um, he, uh, Carlo Chitti didn't want to do that because he says that if we get protested, it will embarrass Alfa Romeo. We cannot afford that. And, and, and I'll tell you what, what I was right is that um, uh, we were at, at Paul Ricard in June testing. And, uh, and I said, uh, you know, I want to do a few runs with a car with a proper uh, right height where we should be if we had a hydraulic system. And I was right there on the times. And he just, you know, uh, it was uh, incredible <clears throat> how he cheated. Afromel just by figure, by being correct mm-hmm. to the rule to the spirit of the rule, so we paid a big price. And uh, and to answer your question, uh, that you know uh, where was I going to go from there? Because uh, the you know the seats were uh, occupied already uh, with the top team, so my only choice was to come back to the states and uh, and, and resume my career here. Yeah, I would have I would have easily. Uh, if I would have been, you know, with uh, with a team that I knew I had some hopes, 
uh, to the state another year or two. But um, but it just it's just one of the things. Just uh, it didn't work out. Yeah, and, and of course we'll, we may see a, uh, a return to uh, to ground effect in the not too distant future in Formula One. But now um, there's a part of the podcast that we do with all of our guests, Mario, and uh, and we're going to do it with you as well. We have a very quick quiz. And there's a very competitive leaderboard, which includes some fellow um, Americans, well, Italian-Americans. Um, and I will pass over to my esteemed colleague with the beard, Harry Benjamin, to introduce you to the Motormouth Quiz, which is all about you. Yes, Mario Andretti, I have four questions plus a bonus question for you. Uh, and we call it the hardest quiz in motorsport, quite frankly, because it depends on whether I've got my facts right and uh, whether we collectively think we all deserve a point or not. Um, so on the leaderboard, there are 14 points up for grabs. And we've had, you know, I suppose, people like Brendan Hartley, Mark Webber up in fifth with 12 and a half points. And then we've got to go all the way down to... Uh, uh, David Coulthard in 25th with 10 points. So, you know, it's a big, long leaderboard. Are you ready for your first question? No. <laughs> Excellent. Now, this first one, well, I'm, I'm worried I've got it wrong, but we'll go with it anyway. Now, your first entry to the Indy 500 was in 1965, yes? Yes. That's correct. Good stuff. Lovely stuff. We're there, we're there. So, where did you finish the race? Er Correct. He's got it in one. And for an extra point, what team did you race with? The Dean Van Lines. Yes. He's got it. That's a full, that's a great start. Pretty easy We're start. Now, to you're, now you're, yeah, you're sucking me in on something now. There we go. <laughs> now, now, it gets, now it gets hard. Okay, question two. Um, now, IndyCar has been about for four years, decades. It hasn't always been called IndyCar, of course. What year did it first start... IndyCar, you mean? Well, yes, but it may not have been the, called. You mean the series? Yeah, so the general open wheel racing in America, the first, because it wasn't called IndyCar when it first started. Any well, idea 19, on a year? 1909, I guess, when Indianapolis. Was the oh, first you, see, I, you see, I've got 1902. Oh, well, it could have been. It could have been. I'll give it's it, you know impossible. what? It's impossible. Hey, Wikipedia <laughs> never lies. Wikipedia is <laughs> always lying. You know what? I'm going to give you... I, I kind of have to side with you on this one because I feel like you'll probably know more than me. So I'm going to go with two points on that one. I you can see fair. how this quiz works now, Mario. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, question three. Uh, we have called, You won, of course, we, as we discussed, the F1 World Championship in 1978. But do you remember how many points you scored? Tough one, this. 92. Oh, I'm afraid not. It was 64. Oh, it should have been 92. It should have been. Should have been. been. Uh, Okay, question four. Uh, You are, of course, one of only three drivers to win races in Formula One, sports cars, NASCAR and IndyCar. Can you name the other two? Yes, uh, Dan Gurney and... uh, and, and Montoya. Yes, yes, he's got it in one. Right, okay. It's looking good for a solid score. For one extra bonus point, can you tell me who was the last American driver in Formula One? The Achiever? No. Bit, bit more modern than that. Oh, oh hang on. We're getting, we're, Are you getting help? We're getting help from the audience. <laughs> no, no. This is... <laughs> it's, up there, it's, Rossi. it's phone a friend. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give you half a point for that, I'm afraid, because oh, I'm harsh. feeling generous. It's Mario Andretti, Harry. Come on, give him the full it's, point. Yeah, exactly. It's Mario Andretti. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, let me do the maths. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That is a solid eight and a half points, but I'm afraid that does put you down. But you're in good company with Johnny Herbert in 32nd position, <laughs> just ahead of um, a, broad, a British broadcasting legend called Steve Ryder. So you're in good good company there. Oh, yes, absolutely. Good, good absolutely. old Johnny. <laughs> Thank you, Mario, for playing the Motor Mouths quiz. <laughs> it was a, that was a solid effort. That, there's the, forget your indie championships. This, this is the highlight Nobody of your career. Nobody told me to look at Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's listen, surprise you. Um, Wikipedia. Mario, you've, uh, your, your, your career is, is hugely well documented, but I, I'm, I'm keen to get your opinion on a few things. Um, first of all, do you still watch Formula One in, in its modern format? And and if so, what's your take on it? Oh, I love Formula One. Obviously, I'm totally in, and uh, and I'm as interested as ever. No question. Um, uh, obviously, uh, it's uh, none of the uh, uh, series and uh, major disciplines uh, are total utopia. You know, there are always things that you like to see different. But uh, nevertheless, I mean, there's uh, to me the interest continues. Uh, obviously, it's all. Provided, but uh, the crop of drivers are coming through, the new talents yep. and so forth, and uh, and the movements. There's always something to look forward to. Uh, no question. I was uh, uh, even um, looking at some of the new proposed rules for 2022. Yeah. That uh, I think are quite interesting. Obviously, uh, uh, it's a big job for uh, the technical committees to come up. Uh, uh, with solutions where you know be able to to, to make the sport more competitive and uh, to introduce uh, you know make it more easy to overtake and all those sort of things yeah. you know but uh, nevertheless the sport is in good hands you know and uh, and I I'm, I'm I'm very positive uh, you know on all the major disciplines uh, of things to look forward to uh, uh, we none of us you know we're all pent up you know but we. We all so much look forward to you know getting back to work and uh, and, and bring the sport to uh, uh, to the interest level that they enjoyed before. Yeah. Um, so 100%. again, um, just anxious. And one thing that I think has always been a shame in recent years um, in Formula One is that we've never had the chance really to see what someone like um, Scott Dixon could do in Formula One. Is it possible to to put an educated guess? as to how someone like Scott, who's done so well and been so successful in the States, how he would stack up if he was put into a Formula One car today? Well, you know, here's the thing, Tim. Um, you know, looking back, look at the opportunities that I had, for instance. Uh, I had the opportunity to race with the top teams and for them to enter a third car in a race. Now, today, because of the setup they have, uh, you know, at uh, the economical you know, part and everything else, it's almost impossible to do that. But wouldn't it be great if they would have some, uh, uh, you know, possibility uh, for some teams to go, say, say if you go come to the United States, that <clears throat> any of the top teams would be allowed to enter an American driver, yeah. you know, for the U.S. Grand Prix as a, as a third car. And that driver does not gain any points, or maybe not, you know, not even uh, uh, be part of, uh, you know, the economical side of it. Uh, but wouldn't that be wonderful for 
the series itself or Formula One, <clears throat> sponsors would love it. Yeah. The fans would just go crazy over it. The press would love it. Why not, you know, uh, come up with something like that you go to, you know, go to South Korea, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, they would have a guest driver, go to China, uh, it, anywhere, you know, there would there would be an opportunity for some of the teams. Oh, you know what? I have a third driver as a guest. Uh, and again, you know, you're trying to do everything to promote the sport. And, uh, and this is the opportunity that I had, you know, whenever I mentioned this, you know, people look at me like I have uh, three heads, you know, like, <laughs> oh, it's just, you know, you know, those were the old times and yeah. all that. You know what? Uh, let's reason a little, a little bit and, um, and try to make some sense because, as you said clearly, look at what George Russell did. First, yeah. that's a perfect example of a driver that um, you know has no hope at the time. Unfortunately, you know, with a team such as Williams, which you know has, has been the, uh, the the standard for so many years, you know what they. But at the moment, you know, they're not there, and and you know he's basically 13th, 14th, and so on and so forth. And he goes with Mercedes. And and he, he could have, he should have won. He should have won that race, you know, in, in Bahrain. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, and here it goes to show you that uh, uh, Formula One is wonderful. And I think, I don't think that should change the, cra- the characteristic criteria of it at all. But, you know, uh, only drivers that are with the, the, one of the top three teams, and historically it's been the same, have any chance at all to, to, to bring any results. So, um, again, for any driver from uh, from uh, they would hope to show their talents, uh, they would have to show it with one of the top teams. Otherwise, it make no sense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so you know, Mercedes should be able to now and then you know uh, enter the third car. Ferrari should, Red Bull should. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a brilliant you know, they, idea because we, know, we spoke to and, Alexander Rossi and he's he was yeah he was I mean the uh, many of these drivers, he got. Uh, you know here's a young young lad that uh, I keep pushing Colton Herta yeah and he was there he was in, in Europe you know when he was 15 years old you know and doing his his thing and he's coming back here and as a young lad you know he wins and and if you would have seen him last year at the last race at, uh, at Laguna Seca you know was he yeah, last year, uh, where, you know, he was, he beat two of the best, you know, which was Scott Dixon and Will Power at the time. Yep. Of course, I mean, led every lap, didn't put a wheel wrong. I mean, and he loved to be in Formula One, but yep. he's not going to go with a team, you know, like I said, with a back marker. Yeah. And yep. uh, because here he, he knows he can win races, he can win a championship. And, and unless this happens in the next year or two, then he'd be, you know, they'll say, oh, he's too old now because he's, you know, he's 24. Yeah. You know? So uh, it's a <laughs> Fernando sad Alonso, situation. Really, yeah. <laughs> it's, a sad, it's a sad situation in it some is. ways because there are some talents, as you know, here in IndyCar that I know could show very well in Formula One and would be wonderful for Formula One, especially, you know, to, to try to, uh, to, 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 uh, to work on, 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 on a, on a fan base here in the United mm, yeah. States, which I think is probably underrated, but, uh, or underestimated, but, but it could be fantastic. And, um, and, you know, we're always looking for, 
uh, sponsor interest and um, yeah it's a shame because the, 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 the sponsors would uh, would thrive and uh, try to be involved with something yeah, like that 100 yeah. percent. i mean it's, it's a pity because you you've got the race you know the, the the race in austin is one of the best on the calendar it's an incredible event and the city is fantastic the drivers love going there we just need an American driver to complete that circle, or or more than one American driver. It's 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 such a travesty. So, like you say, let's keep our fingers crossed that that something changes and and we can see that happen. Um, Mary, we're, we're coming towards the end of our our time with you, so we'll we'll whiz through a couple of quick ones, and then we've got um, three final questions which we ask all of our guests that throw up different answers. Before um, that, I, I'm just keen to know you've won everything in motorsport. You you've got a full house. You're an incredibly quick driver. You're a businessman, um, a family man. But what is Mario Andretti completely rubbish at? What are you terrible at? Is there something that you're just completely hopeless at doing? Oh, gosh. Um, what is it, Amy? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad at everything. <laughs> <laughs> How are you in the kitchen? I'm What's your cooking very, like? Um, yeah, I'm very impatient, you know, uh, when I uh, see mediocrity around me, for instance. <laughs> I think I'm a bit, I'm, I'm bit sometimes uh, more demanding than I should be. Um, uh, and uh, maybe it's uh, even uh, unfair to some degree uh, because uh, uh, I, I, I criticize maybe more than I should. Uh, I should look at myself more. Uh, but uh, that's all I can tell you. Other uh, than that, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I well, Let's flip that on its edge. Asi- aside from racing, of course, what's your most amazing talent? Well, one thing, I can't cook. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. Outside of racing, my most amazing talent doesn't exist. That's it. It's I funny. live and breathe racing, that, period. That, that's what so many of the look top... At, look, at, look at right there. Yeah, I, I know. Right yeah, Stupid I know. Thing. That's a that's a great. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's it, it's good to hear. But and and all the drivers that we interview, they just say there was no plan B. All the successful ones, anyway. It was just racing was always the one thing I was going to do. Um, now, listen. As I said, we've got three final questions which we ask all of our guests, and they throw up all sorts of answers. There's no correct or wrong answer. Um, Harry, shall I kick off? Go for it. So, first question of the three: What's got you excited at this very moment? The opportunity. I mean, this very moment. Looking for, uh, looking forward to the racing season. That's my biggest excitement. Yeah, cool. Think, and that think, could be boring to some in some circles, but I think it. I think that will go down pretty well in this circle. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I think we're all looking forward to that. Um, now, this almost seems like an incomprehensible question to ask, but especially as we just spoken about the whole Plan B thing. But what if you weren't a racing driver? Was there anything else you could have done? What would you be doing? I said at one time that uh, I think I would have pursued a career of a fighter pilot. Oh, nice. Yes. Very cool. By the way, I've gone supersonic and, and, uh, and military jets. Wow. F-15, uh, and uh, I've flown F-15, F-16, uh, F-111. I've been supersonic F-15 and F-111. And, uh, and they... Uh, and I had, I was at command, you know, I mean, I, I, I flown, I did loops, I did, uh, uh, you know, a lot of things that um, uh, people don't get the opportunity to do. Um, uh, we did mid-air refueling in an F-16 and we flew uh, from uh, Phoenix Loop Field to uh, Homestead in, in the middle 80s. Um, and, uh, 
and I we went upside down canopy to canopy oh. with our partner, you know, in the air. Um, and so uh, anyway, that that's uh, and when I spoke to the Wing Commanders Conference, uh, I was to me it was like this in this talking to race drivers, you know, the same yeah. thing. We uh, we think the same, we talk the same language. Um, and uh, all these pilots, they couldn't wait to, to go to war somewhere. You know, because yeah. it's like they said, we're tired of practicing. We want the real thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so it was, uh, that was kind of neat. I always had the soft spot. And, um, you know, for those dudes, uh, you know, if I, you know, if, if, you know, piloting fighter aircraft. And, um, and you know, from then I met some in Britain. I met some in Italy. And, of course, here. Uh, so, that might have been my other uh, pursuit. Very good. And our final question for you: What are you scared of? Uh, being poor. <laughs> In the financial sense or the emotional sense? <laughs> financial sense. <Yeah. laughs> are we all? We love. We love the honesty. I don't Absolutely. think there's any danger of that happening. No, I think you're all right. And uh, honestly, Mario Andretti, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank and an honour, actually. Thank yeah. you for coming on our show. It's been a privilege. Very to kind. See you. Um, and thank you for you know for for giving us all your anecdotes about your career. It's been so fascinating to hear from you, Mario Andretti. Thank you so much for coming on to the Motor Mouth Podcast. My pleasure, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Before you go, one final reminder to check out the team at Garud Rival, the place to be for the 2021 motorsport season. If you think you really know your F1 and MotoGP, fancy yourself at making a bit of extra cash, setting up your own or joining a fantasy league, and making sure you have the best driver lineups for each race, all whilst getting access to the best motorsport content and chatting to like-minded fans, then Grid Rival is the place for you. Leagues go live at the end of February, so make sure you're at the front of the queue by getting notified as soon as they're ready by heading over to their website gridrival.com or download their app from your selected app store and get prepped for a brand new season of motorsport with grid rival now if you're a really lovely person and fancy supporting the podcast further just head over to patreon or the link is in the podcast description we've got some great goodies and bonus content to give you if you sign up just search motormouth official on patreon and there are three levels of membership to choose from thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook just search Motormouth you can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast